Section thirteen of the Letters of Jane Austen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Letter twenty nine. Castle Square, Friday, December ninth. Many thanks, my dear Cassandra, to you and Mr. Deeds for your joint and agreeable composition, which took me by surprise this morning. He has certainly great merit as a writer. He does ample justice to his subject, and without being diffuse is clear and correct, and though I do not mean to compare his epistolary powers with yours, or to give him the same portion of my gratitude, he certainly has a very pleasing way of winding up a whole and speeding truth into the world. But all this, as my dear Mrs. Piozzi says, is flight and fancy and nonsense, for my master has his great casks to mind, and I have my little children. It is you, however, in this instance that have the little children, and I that have the great cask, for we are brewing spruce beer again. But my meaning really is, that I am extremely foolish in writing all this unnecessary stuff, when I have so many matters to write about that my paper will hardly hold it all. Little matters they are, to be sure, but highly important. In the first place, Miss Curling is actually at Portsmouth, which I was always in hopes would not happen. I wish her no worse, however, than a long and happy abode there. Here she would probably be dull, and I am sure she would be troublesome. The bracelets are in my possession, and everything I could wish them to be. They came with Martha's police, which likewise gives great satisfaction. Soon after I had closed my last letter to you, we were visited by Mrs. Dickens and her sister-in-law, Mrs. Bertie, the wife of a lately made admiral. Mrs. F. A., I believe, was their first object, but they put up with us very kindly, and Mrs. D., in finding in Miss Lloyd a friend of Mrs. Dundas, had another motive for the acquaintance. She seems a really agreeable woman. That is, her manners are gentle, and she knows a great many of our connections in West Kent. Mrs. Bertie lives in the Polygon, and was out when we returned her visit, which are her two virtues. A larger circle of acquaintance, and an increase of amusement, is quite in character with our approaching removal. Yes, I mean to go to as many balls as possible, that I may have a good bargain. Everybody is very much concerned at our going away, and everybody is acquainted with Chawton, and speaks of it as a remarkably pretty village, and everybody knows the house we describe, but nobody fixes on the right. I am very much obliged to Mrs. Knight for such proof of the interest she takes in me, and you may depend upon it that I will marry Mr. Papillon, whatever may be his reluctance or my own. I owe her much more than such a trifling sacrifice. Our ball was rather more amusing than I expected. Martha liked it very much, and I did not gape till the last quarter of an hour. It was past nine before we were sent for, and not twelve when we returned. The room was tolerably full, and there were perhaps thirty couple of dancers. The melancholy part was to see so many dozen young women standing by without partners, and each of them with two ugly naked shoulders. It was the same room in which we danced fifteen years ago. I thought it all over, and in spite of the shame of being so much older, felt with thankfulness that I was quite as happy now as then. We paid an additional shilling for our tea, which we took as we chose, in an adjoining and very comfortable room. There were only four dances, and it went to my heart that the Miss Lances, one of them, too, named Emma, should have partners only for two. You will not expect to hear that I was asked to dance, but I was, 
by the gentleman whom we met that Sunday with Captain Dauvergne. We have always kept up a bowing acquaintance since, and being pleased with his black eyes, I spoke to him at the ball, which brought on me this civility. But I do not know his name, and he seems so little at home in the English language that I believe his black eyes may be the best of him. Captain Dauvergne has got a ship. Martha and I made use of the very favourable state of yesterday for walking, to pay our duty at Chiswell. We found Mrs. Lance at home and alone, and sat out three other ladies who soon came in. We went by the ferry, and returned by the bridge, and were scarcely at all fatigued. Edward must have enjoyed the last two days. You, I presume, had a cool drive to Canterbury. Kitty Foote came on Wednesday, and her evening visit began early enough for the last part, the apple pie of our dinner, for we never dine now till five. Yesterday I, or rather you, had a letter from Nanny Hilliard, the object of which is that she would be very much obliged to us if we would get Hannah a place. I am sorry that I cannot assist her. If you can, let me know, as I shall not answer the letter immediately. Mr. Sloper is married again, not much to Nanny's or anybody's satisfaction. The lady was governess to Sir Robert's natural children, and seems to have nothing to recommend her. I do not find, however, that Nanny is likely to lose her place in consequence. She says not a word of what service she wishes for Hannah, or what Hannah can do. But a nursery, I suppose, or something of that kind, must be the thing. Having now cleared away my smaller articles of news, I come to a communication of some weight. No less than that my uncle and aunt are going to allow James a hundred pounds a year. We hear of it through Steventon. Mary sent us the other day an extract from my aunt's letter on the subject, in which the donation is made with greatest kindness, and intended as a compensation for his loss in the conscientious refusal of Hampstead living, a hundred pounds a year being all that he had at the time called its worth, as I find it was always intended at Steventon to divide the real income with Kintbury. Nothing can be more affectionate than my aunt's language in making the present, and likewise in expressing her hope of their being much more together in future, than to her great regret they have of late years been. My expectations for my mother do not rise with this event. We will allow a little more time, however, before we fly out. If not prevented by parish business, James comes to us on Monday. The Mrs. Hulberts and Miss Murden are their guests at present, and likely to continue such till Christmas. Anna comes home on the 19th. The hundred a year begins next Lady Day. I am glad you are to have Henry with you again. With him and the boys you cannot but have a cheerful, and at times even a merry Christmas. Martha is so... Manuscript torn. We want to be settled at Chawton in time for Henry to come to us for some shooting in October, at least, or a little earlier, and Edward may visit us after taking his boys back to Winchester. Suppose we name the 4th of September. Will not that do? I have but one thing more to tell you. Mrs. Hill called on my mother yesterday while we were gone to Chiswell, and in the course of the visit asked her whether she knew anything of a clergyman's family of the name of Alford, who had resided in our part of Hampshire. Mrs. Hill had been applied to, as likely to give some information of them on account of their probable vicinity to Dr. Hill's living by a lady, or for a lady, who had known Mrs. and the two Miss Alfords in Bath whether they had removed, it seems, from Hampshire, and who now wishes to convey to the Miss Alfords some work or trimming which she has been doing for them. But the mother and daughters have left Bath, and the lady cannot learn where they are gone to. 
while my mother gave us the account, the probability of its being ourselves occurred to us, and it had previously struck herself. What makes it more likely, and even indispensably to be us, is that she mentioned Mr. Hammond as now having the living or curacy which the father had had. I cannot think who our kind lady can be, but I dare say we shall not like the work. Distribute the affectionate love of a heart not so tired as the right hand belonging to it. Yours ever sincerely, J. A. Letter 30 Castle Square, Tuesday, December 27th My dear Cassandra, I can now write at leisure and make the most of my subjects, which is lucky, as they are not numerous this week. Our house was cleared by half-past eleven on Saturday, and we had the satisfaction of hearing yesterday that the party reached home in safety soon after five. I was very glad of your letter this morning, for, my mother taking medicine, Eliza keeping her bed with a cold, and Choles not coming, made us rather dull and dependent on the post. You tell me much that gives me pleasure, but I think not much to answer. I wish I could help you in your needlework. I have two hands and a new thimble that lead a very easy life. Lady Sons match surprises, but does not offend me. Had her first marriage been of affection, or had there been a grown-up single daughter, I should not have forgiven her. But I consider everybody as having a right to marry once in their lives for love, if they can, and provided she will now leave off having bad headaches and being pathetic, I can allow her, I can wish her, to be happy. Do not imagine that your picture of your tete-a-tete -tete with Sir B. makes any change in our expectations here. He could not really be reading, though he held the newspaper in his hand. He was making up his mind to the deed, and the manner of it. I think you will have a letter from him soon. I heard from Portsmouth yesterday, and, as I am able to send them more clothes, they cannot be expecting a very early return to us. Mary's face is pretty well, but she must have suffered a great deal with it. An abscess was formed and opened. Our evening party on Thursday produced nothing more remarkable than Miss Murden's coming too, though she had declined it absolutely in the morning, and sitting very ungracious and very silent with us from seven o'clock till half after eleven, for so late was it, owing to the chairman, before we got rid of them. The last hour, spent in yawning and shivering in a wide circle round the fire, was dull enough, but the tray had admirable success. The widgeon and preserved ginger were as delicious as one could wish. But as to our black butter, do not decoy anybody to Southampton by such a lure, for it is all gone. The first pot was opened when Frank and Mary were here, and proved not at all what it ought to be. It was neither solid nor entirely sweet, and on seeing it, Eliza remembered that Miss Austen had said that she did not think it had been boiled enough. It was made, you know, when we were absent. Such being the event of the first pot, I would not save the second, and we therefore ate it in unpretending privacy, and though not what it ought to be, part of it was very good. James means to keep three horses on this increase of income, at present he has but one. Mary wishes the other two to be fit to carry women, and in the purchase of one, Edward will probably be called upon to fulfil his promise to his godson. We have now pretty well ascertained James' income to be eleven hundred pounds, curate paid, which makes us very happy. The ascertainment as well as the income. Mary does not want to talk of the garden. It may well be a disagreeable subject to her, 
but her husband is persuaded that nothing is wanting to make the first new one good but trenching, which is to be done by his own servants and John Bond, by degrees, not at the expense which trenching the other amounted to. I was happy to hear, chiefly for Anna's sake, that a ball at Manydown was once more in agitation. It is called a child's ball, and given by Mrs. Heathcote to William. Such was its beginning, at least, but it will probably swell into something more. Edward was invited during his stay at Manydown, and it is to take place between this and Twelfth Day. Mrs. Hulbert has taken Anna a pair of white shoes on the occasion. I forgot in my last to tell you that we hear, by way of Kintbury and the Palmers, that they were all well at Bermuda in the beginning of November. Wednesday Yesterday must have been a day of sad remembrance at Godmersham. I am glad it is over. We spent Friday evening with our friends at the boarding-house, and our curiosity was gratified by the sight of their fellow inmates, Mrs. Drew and Miss Hook, Mr. Wynne and Mr. Fitzhugh, the latter is brother to Mrs. Lance, and very much the gentleman. He has lived in that house more than twenty years, and, poor man, is so totally deaf that they say he could not hear a cannon were it fired close to him. Having no cannon at hand to make the experiment, I took it for granted, and talked to him a little with my fingers, which was funny enough. I recommended him to read Corinna. Miss Hook is a well-behaved, genteelish woman. Mrs. Drew well-behaved without being at all genteel. Mr. Wynne seems a chatty and rather familiar young man. Miss Murden was quite a different creature this last evening from what she had been before, owing to her having with Martha's help found a situation in the morning, which was very fair for comfort. When she leaves Steventon, she comes to board and lodge with Mrs. Hookey, the chemist, for there is no Mr. Hookey. I cannot say that I am in any hurry for the conclusion of her present visit, but I was truly glad to see her comfortable in mind and spirits. At her age, perhaps, one may be as friendless oneself, and in similar circumstances, quite as captious. My mother has lately been adding to her possessions in plate, a whole tablespoon and a whole dessert-spoon, and six whole teaspoons, which makes our sideboard border on the magnificent. They are mostly the produce of old or useless silver. I have turned the eleven S in the list into twelve S, and the card looks all the better. A silver tea-ladle is also added, which will at least answer the purpose of making us sometimes think of John Warren. I have laid Lady Son's case before Martha, who does not make the least objection to it, and is particularly pleased with the name of Montresor. I do not agree with her there, but I like his rank very much, and always affix the ideas of strong sense and highly elegant manners to a general. I must write to Charles next week. You may guess in what extravagant terms of praise Earl Harwood speaks of him. He is looked up to by everybody in all America. I shall not tell you anything more of William Digweed's China, as your silence on the subject makes you unworthy of it. Mrs. H. Digweed looks forward with great satisfaction to our being her neighbours. I would have her enjoy the idea to the utmost, as I suspect there will not be much in the reality. With equal pleasure we anticipate an intimacy with her husband's bailiff and his wife, who live close by us, and are said to be remarkably good sort of people. Yes, yes, we will have a pianoforte, as good a one as can be got for thirty guineas, and I will practice country dances, that we may have some amusement for our nephews and nieces, when we have the pleasure of their company. Martha sends her love to Henry, and tells him that he will soon have a bill of Miss Chaplin's, about fourteen pounds, to pay on her account, but the bill shall not be sent in till his return to town. I hope he comes to you in good health, 
and in spirits as good as a first return to Godmersham can allow. With his nephews he will force himself to be cheerful, till he really is so. Send me some intelligence of Eliza. It is a long while since I have heard of her. We have had snow on the ground here almost a week. It is now going, but Southampton must boast no longer. We all send our love to Edward Jr. and his brothers, and I hope speculation is generally liked. Fare you well. Yours affectionately, J. Austen. My mother has not been out of doors this week, but she keeps pretty well. We have received through Bookham an indifferent account of your godmother. End of section 13